Section 17 of On Christian Doctrine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On Christian Doctrine by Augustine of Hippo. Translated by J. F. Shaw. Section 17. Book 4th argument passing to the second part of his work that which treats of expression the author premises that it is no part of his intention to write a treatise on the laws of rhetoric these can be learned elsewhere and ought not to be neglected being indeed specially necessary for the christian teacher whom it behooves to excel in eloquence and power of speech after detailing with much care and minuteness the various qualities of an orator he recommends the authors of the holy scriptures as the best models of eloquence far excelling all others in the combination of eloquence with wisdom he points out that perspicuity is the most essential quality of style and ought to be cultivated with especial care by the teacher as it is the main requisite for instruction although other qualities are required for delighting and persuading the hearer all these gifts are to be sought in earnest prayer from god though we are not to forget to be zealous and diligent in study he shows that there are three species of style the subdued the elegant and the majestic the first serving for instruction the second for praise and the third for exhortation and of each of these he gives examples selected both from scripture and from early teachers of the church cyprian and ambrose he shows that these various styles may be mingled and when and for what purposes they are mingled and that they all have the same end in view to bring home the truth to the hearer so that he may understand it hear it with gladness and practice it in his life finally he exhorts the christian teacher himself pointing out the dignity and responsibility of the office he holds to lead a life in harmony with his own teaching and to show a good example to all chapter one this work not intended as a treatise on rhetoric one this work of mine which is entitled on christian doctrine was at the commencement divided into two parts for after a preface in which i answered by anticipation those who were likely to take exception to the work i said there are two things on which all interpretation of scripture depends the mode of ascertaining the proper meaning and the mode of making known the meaning when it is ascertained i shall treat first of the mode of ascertaining next of the mode of making known the meaning as then i have already said a great deal about the mode of ascertaining the meaning and have given three books to this one part of the subject i shall only say a few things about the mode of making known the meaning in order if possible to bring them all within the compass of one book and so finish the whole work in four books 
two in the first place then i wish by this preamble to put a stop to the expectations of readers who may think that i am about to lay down rules of rhetoric such as i have learned and taught too in the secular schools and to warn them that they need not look for any such from me not that i think such rules of no use but that whatever use they have is to be learnt elsewhere and if any good man should happen to have leisure for learning them he is not to ask me to teach them either in this work or any other chapter two it is lawful for a christian teacher to use the art of rhetoric three now the art of rhetoric being available for the enforcing either of truth or falsehood who will dare to say that truth in the person of its defenders is to take its stand unarmed against falsehood for example that those who are trying to persuade men of what is false are to know how to introduce their subject so as to put the hearer into a friendly or attentive or teachable frame of mind while the defenders of the truth shall be ignorant of that art that the former are to tell their falsehoods briefly clearly and plausibly while the latter shall tell the truth in such a way that is tedious to listen to hard to understand and in fine not easy to believe it that the former are to oppose the truth and defend falsehood with sophistical arguments while the latter shall be unable either to defend what is true or to refute what is false that the former while imbuing the minds of their hearers with erroneous opinions are by their power of speech to awe to melt to enliven and to rouse them while the latter shall in defence of the truth be sluggish and frigid and somnolent who is such a fool as to think this wisdom since then the faculty of eloquence is available for both sides and is a very great service in the enforcing either of wrong or right why do not good men study to engage it on the side of truth when bad men use it to obtain the triumph of wicked and worthless causes and to further injustice and error chapter three the proper age and the proper means for acquiring rhetorical skill four but the theories and rules on this subject to which when you add a tongue thoroughly skilled by exercise and habit and the use of many words and many ornaments of speech you have what is called eloquence or oratory may be learnt apart from these writings of mine if a suitable space of time be set aside for the purpose at a fit and proper age but only by those who can learn them quickly for the masters of roman eloquence themselves did not shrink from saying that anyone who cannot learn this art quickly can never thoroughly learn it at all whether this be true or not why need we inquire for even if this art can occasionally be in the end mastered by men of slower intellect i do not think it of so much importance as to wish men who have arrived at mature age to spend time in learning it it is enough that boys should give attention to it and even of these not all who are to be fitted for usefulness in the church but only those who are not yet engaged in any occupation of more urgent necessity or which ought evidently to take precedence of it 
for men of quick intellect and glowing temperament find it easier to become eloquent by reading and listening to eloquent speakers than by following rules for eloquence and even outside the canon which to our great advantage is fixed in a place of secure authority there is no want of ecclesiastical writings in reading which a man of ability will acquire a tinge of the eloquence with which they are written even though he does not aim at this but is solely intent on the matters treated of especially of course if in addition he practise himself in writing or dictating and at last also in speaking the opinions he has formed on grounds of piety and faith if however such ability be wanting the rules of rhetoric are either not understood or if after great labour has been spent in enforcing them they come to be in some small measure understood they prove of no service for even those who have learnt them and who speak with fluency and eloquence cannot always think of them when they are speaking so as to speak in accordance with them unless they are discussing the rules themselves indeed i think there are scarcely any who can do both things that is speak well and in order to do this think of the rules of speaking while they are speaking for we must be careful that what we have got to say does not escape us whilst we are thinking about saying it according to the rules of art nevertheless in the speeches of eloquent men we find rules of eloquence carried out which the speakers did not think of as aids to eloquence at the time when they were speaking whether they had ever learnt them or whether they had never even met with them but it is because they are eloquent that they exemplify these rules it is not that they use them in order to be eloquent five and therefore as infants cannot learn to speak except by learning words and phrases from those who do speak why should not men become eloquent without being taught any art of speech simply by reading and learning the speeches of eloquent men and by imitating them as far as they can and why do we find from the examples themselves to be the case in this respect we know numbers who without acquaintance with rhetorical rules are more eloquent than many who have learnt these but we know no one who is eloquent without having read and listened to the speeches and debates of eloquent men for even the art of grammar which teaches correctness of speech need not be learnt by boys if they have the advantage of growing up and living among men who speak correctly for without knowing the names of any of the faults they will from being accustomed to correct speech lay hold upon whatever is faulty in the speech of any one they listen to and avoid it just as city-bred men even when illiterate seize upon the faults of rustics chapter four the duty of the christian teacher six it is the duty then of the interpreter and teacher of holy scripture the defender of the true faith and the opponent of error both to teach what is right and to refute what is wrong and in the performance of this task to conciliate the hostile to rouse the careless and to tell the ignorant both what is occurring at present and what is probable in the future for once that his hearers are friendly attentive and ready to learn whether he has found them so 
or has himself made them so the remaining objects are to be carried out in whatever way the case requires if the hearers need teaching the matter treated of must be made fully known by means of narrative on the other hand to clear up points that are doubtful requires reasoning and the exhibition of proofs if however the hearers require to be roused rather than instructed in order that they may be diligent to do what they already know and to bring their feelings into harmony with the truth they admit greater vigor of speech is needed here entreaties and reproaches exhortations and upbraidings and all the other means of rousing the emotions are necessary seven and all the methods i have mentioned are constantly used by nearly everyone in cases where speech is the agency employed chapter five wisdom of more importance than eloquence to the christian teacher but as some men employ these coarsely and elegantly and frigidly while others use them with acuteness elegance and spirit the work that i am speaking of ought to be undertaken by one who can argue and speak with wisdom if not with eloquence and with profit to his hearers even though he profit them less than he would if he could speak with eloquence too but we must beware of the man who abounds in eloquent nonsense and so much the more if the hearer is pleased with what is not worth listening to and thinks that because the speaker is eloquent what he says must be true and this opinion is held even by those who think that the art of rhetoric should be taught for they confess that though wisdom without eloquence is of little service to states yet eloquence without wisdom is frequently a positive injury and is of service never if then the men who teach the principles of eloquence have been forced by truth to confess this in the very books which treat of eloquence though they were ignorant of the true that is the heavenly wisdom which comes down from the father of lights how much more ought we to feel it who are the sons and the ministers of this higher wisdom now a man speaks with more or less wisdom just as he has made more or less progress in the knowledge of scriptures i do not mean by reading them much and committing them to memory but by understanding them aright and carefully searching into their meaning for there are who read and yet neglect them they read to remember the words but are careless about knowing the meaning it is plain we must set far above these the men who are not so retentive of the words but see with the eyes of the heart into the heart of scripture better than either of these however the man who when he wishes can repeat the words and at the same time correctly apprehends their meaning eight now it is especially necessary for the man who is bound to speak wisely even though he cannot speak eloquently to retain in memory the words of scripture for the more he discerns the poverty of his own speech the more he ought to draw on the riches of scripture so that what he says in his own words he may prove by the words of scripture and he himself though small and weak in his own words may gain strength and power from the confirming testimony of great men 
for his proof gives pleasure when he cannot please by his mode of speech but if a man desire to speak not only with wisdom but with eloquence also and assuredly he will prove of greater service if he can do both i would rather send him to read and listen to and exercise himself in imitating eloquent men than advise him to spend time with the teachers of rhetoric especially if the men he reads and listens to are justly praised as having spoken or as being accustomed to speak not only with eloquence but with wisdom also for eloquent speakers are heard with pleasure wise speakers with profit and therefore scripture does not say that the multitude of the eloquent but the multitude of the wise is the welfare of the world and as we must often swallow wholesome bitters so we must also avoid unwholesome sweets but what is better than wholesome sweets or sweet wholesomeness for the sweeter we try to make such things the easier it is to make their wholesomeness serviceable and so there are writers of the church who have expounded the holy scriptures not only with wisdom but with eloquence as well and there is not more time for the reading of these than is sufficient for those who are studious and at leisure to exhaust them. End of section 17